Well, I want to begin by welcoming you to First Methodist Mansfield, uh, those who are here in the well and those who are upstairs in the well cafe. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. You've already heard from Matthew 6 several times in our service. Uh, if you're using one of the blue Bibles uh, here in the chapel or upstairs, that's page 1509 uh, in your Bible. If you want to find that, that's where we're going to be. I want to mention something that I shared at the 930 service, and I want to do so uh, here as well. At 930, uh, Dylan and Larissa, who were leading uh, here at the well just, just a moment ago, uh, shared in worship. And then Lauren, who also shared our offertory prayer here in, in the well, uh, she shared over there. And I just loved that image of some of our babies on our staff uh, who are leading you in worship and blessing you upstairs. Uh, Jackson is leading in worship. He's another baby. Uh, Johnny's up there too, but he doesn't fit in that category anymore. He's now old. Um, y'all didn't think that was funny? I thought it was hilarious. He had a birthday this week, so Johnny is an old man. But it's a reminder to me that the church does not belong to us. Uh, the church belongs to God. And our task as, as people who are part of the church is to be good stewards of the gospel that God has entrusted to us. So if you're here at the beginning of the service, we talked about All Saints Sunday and what we're going to do next week to honor the saints among us. Uh, who have passed away in this last year, celebrating that they understood that, that they lived their life well, they have entrusted this church to us, and we're seeking to entrust it to the next generation. And as a church, you're getting to see that happen right before your eyes with some of our younger staff who are leading you and blessing you. And I just want to say good job, church, because that's the way a significant church operates. That's, that's what you do, and I think that's worthy of, of celebration. So... That has absolutely nothing to do with Matthew 6 and what we're going to talk about today, but I, wanted, I just wanted to point that out to you. I thought that was something worth mentioning to you. Uh, as, as you heard at the beginning of the service, we are finishing up this series, A Deeper Life with God, and as a part of this series, many of you have been a part of a small group. We challenge you to do that. We've had 1,400 people in our church who have been connected to one of those groups. We've had 80 new small groups form uh, as a part of, of this, uh, this endeavor, and we're just so excited about that, that there are people who are connecting and life-giving relationships because we believe that's an essential part of your faith journey. And so we're proud of you for doing that. I want you to know that we're actually filming for the next series that we're going to do. We're, we're doing that on Thursday. So we appreciate your prayers this Thursday as we film for that. That will start in February. And so if you're in one of those small groups right now, I want you to be looking forward to that. If you've not connected yet, if you just haven't made that leap of being a part of a small group or a Sunday school class, I'd love for you to think about it. And we're going to give you another resource uh, that we'll hope will be a blessing to you in this. But let me just reset a few things that we've talked about over the course of these five weeks. We've talked about that we all have a hunger for meaning and significance, and that that's not a faith perspective. That's just a human perspective. That, that, that idea transcends geography. It transcends culture. It transcends time. That's just a human thing. We have this hunger for meaning and significance. The faith perspective enters when we make the claim that we believe God created that. God created in us that hunger for meaning and, and, and significance. It is a hunger to be reconnected with our creator. It's a reminder that we are made in the image of God. And, and we've talked about the teaching of Jesus that life is lived from the inside out. That who you are and who you become is not a product of your circumstance, but it's a product of what is happening inside your heart and how God is working in your life. We looked at Proverbs 4, above all else, the proverb says, 
Guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. And so over these weeks, we've talked about the practices that we, be, we believe help form and shape the heart. We talked about rest, uh, physical rest, actually stopping our productivity to rest our bodies and to rest our souls, that there is a physical component there to our health, but also a spiritual component. You are not created to be a machine. God created you in such a way that you need rest. And it's a reminder to us that we are not God. God is. When we rest, we surrender to that. We say, God, you are God, and I am not, and I can rest. We talk about relationships and how important relationships are in our life, that significant change is always anchored in significant relationships. We need people in our life who are encouraging us, people who we know and, and they know us, and we're sharing, sharing life together. And we talked about whether it's a relationship with others or our relationship with God, all relationships grow or diminish based on the investment of time. And so we talked about the importance of making time. If we really want to grow into a deeper life with God, it, it begins with the investment of time. And then last week, if you are here at this service, you heard from Pastor Johnny talk about prayer. This essential ingredient is how he described that, of, of, of investing in God, in what we share with, with God, but also how we listen and make ourselves open to what God is speaking into our life through the presence of, of God's Spirit. Now, if you're in one of those groups, you got one more week. And you're going to talk about one more practice that will carry you into the next series that we're going to start next weekend. But this last week, you talked about worship. And I just want to reset a couple of ideas that were in that teaching, just in case you weren't a part of one of those groups. We talked about that when you hear that word worship, most of us, we immediately go to the event of worship. That's what we think about. We think about a place like this chapel. You think about that, that place like the loft upstairs, if you attend the, the cafe service. You think about the event of worship and what it means to participate in that act. You think about singing. You think about giving. You think about a preacher talking and, and sharing with you. You may think about Holy Communion and receiving that gift. You may think about all these things that are a part of the event of worship. And that's a good thing. Because this thing is worship. That's why we call it that. That's why we have it every single weekend. Some of you don't know that. You only come once a month. That's okay. But we have it every single weekend. We are here because we believe that worship is an essential ingredient in your life. And there is something powerful about gathering with brothers and sisters on a weekly, regular, consistent basis, regardless of what time the Cowboys play, so that you can invest in your life with God. Okay, I promise I'll stop doing that. that that's what we talked about. But what, what I want you to hear is that this is not all that worship is. Worship is not just an event in which you participate. Worship is, in fact, who you are. Because we are created with a craving, a desire for meaning and significance, we cannot help but worship. Again, not a, not a perspective from faith, but just a reality. We are people who worship, who long for meaning and significance, and it pulls us into this act of worship. It's not just something that we do, it is something that we are. And that's why when you look at the scriptures, if you read through the Old Testament, you come to many places in the New Testament, you'll find a subject that at first may leave you scratching your head like, what does this mean to me in my life? The subject that you'll find is the subject of idolatry. Now, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, for these first Christians who were learning what it meant to be a follower of Jesus while living within Rome and the culture of Rome... When they talk about idolatry, they're actually talking about the worship of idols, a physical idol. 
So if you remember back to high school, to that history class or English class where you learned about the Greek gods and the, or the Roman gods, that's what they were talking about. They were talking about actual idols that were, that were constructed or made for one of the Roman or the Greek gods or some of the other pagan gods that, uh, that we find in the Old Testament. And you may read that and you may think, well... If I go to downtown Fort Worth or downtown Dallas, I don't see you know, a statue to the god of Ares. So what does that have to do with my modern life, the modern context that we live in? How do we think about this idea of idolatry that is found so often in the scriptures? Well, let me jog your mind a little bit as you think about what that might look like for us today. And the way I want to do that is I want to talk to you about one of my idols. I'm just going to be vulnerable with you and be honest with you about what one of my idols is. And you're just going to see it on the screen behind me. Uh, this is one of my idols, okay? <laughs> if you're visiting today from another planet, first welcome to Earth. This is called Apple, okay? If you've never heard of it before, this is Apple. For many years, they were known as Apple Computers, and the reason is that for most of their history, that's what they did. They, they made computers. That's what, that was the, their business. But as they have grown into additional consumer electronic devices, they're no longer known as Apple Computer Incorporated. They're Apple, simply Apple, because they make all sorts of devices now. So they make desktop computers. They make laptop computers. They make tablet devices. They were the, the, the ones who came out with the first real smartphone. Like we had smartphones before, but they were really kind of dumb. So they were the first real smartphone. They, they, have now, they now have this little box that you can hook up to your TV to, to grab content from the cloud to play on your TV. They even have watches that you can wear because the old watch that just told time, I mean, what do you, that, yeah, you need something more than that, right? So, and the reason that I know about all of their products is because I own all of them. I own all of them. Now, does that make it an idol? No. There's nothing wrong with owning things. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. We all have possessions, and there's nothing wrong with that. Here's how I know I have a problem. You can go on something called the World Wide Web or the Internet, if you've heard of this. You can find websites that are devoted to sharing rumors with you about what Apple is doing next. When will the new iPhone come out? What will be the new features? Will it have the same form factor? Are they going to make a big phone like Samsung did? Are they going to have this high-resolution camera? What's going, to go, what's going to be different in their new phone? What might Apple be making next? I mean, if they're trying to take over the home, what is the next product they're going to introduce to us that we just know we're going to need? Is Apple making the first smart air conditioner? I mean, are they going to take over the home in that way? Or how about this? If only wishing could make it so. What if Apple, the maker of the first real smartphone, is right now developing the world's first smart toilet? I mean, have you thought about that? I have. That would be amazing, right? Like if, if Apple could somehow, if, if you could go to the bathroom and see that symbol there. I mean, wouldn't that be, if you lift the lid, ah, oh, there's the apple. That would be amazing, right? I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to go to the bathroom, to finish your business, and then go, Siri, flush the toilet. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're thinking you want that in your home now, right? Here's how I know I have a problem. If Apple came out with a toilet, I would want it. I would want it. I would go home and I would tell my wife, we have to change our toilets. These old ones don't work anymore. They're, they're just not, they're not good enough. We have to get a new 
toilet. That's how I know I have a problem. When I know that they, they could really introduce anything, and I would say, I think I need that. I, I, I cannot. Now, laugh at me all you want, but let me just ask you this question. Have you ever gone over to your friend's house, uh, and, and, and when you walked in, you saw something different, or you saw something new? You walked in, and you thought to yourself, I don't have a bonus room. Why don't we have a bonus room? I mean, with a bonus room, you could do bonus things. We got to have a bonus room. <laughs> or, or have you ever walked in and thought, I, I think that TV is bigger than my TV. I'm not, yeah, I think that's bigger. This is 4K. This is better than HD. We need a new TV. Our TV, this is, this is nothing. Our TV, we got to get rid of it. Or, or have you ever walked, oh my gosh, they got new countertops. <laughs> Those are so, our countertops are disgusting. <laughs> there's just no, I bet there's so much fungus growth. We've got to get rid of those countertops. This floor, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Have, have you ever found yourself thinking, you heard that voice inside that said, well, what you got is nothing. Yeah, you got you to get, or, or have you ever looked at somebody else and just thought, wow, they're more successful than I am. They got something that I don't have. Or, 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 or ladies, how about this? Have you ever you ever seen another mom and thought, man, she's got it together. Why aren't her kids yelling at each other? <laughs> My kids won't stop yelling at each other. Why can't I be more like them? Why can't I have what he has? Why can't... Have you ever found that voice speaking to you in your life? Well, that's, that's what idolatry is. Idolatry is taking this hunger that we all have for meaning and significance. Again, a gift that God has given us. Don't, don't miss that. And seeking to satisfy that meaning and significance in something that is less than the creator. Whether it is something that has been created or in something that we see in someone else. And, and feeling like that longing for meaning and significance can somehow be satisfied if we could just have, if we could just possess, if we could just be something that we're not. That's what I do. So with that in mind, whatever that last experience was in your own life where you heard that voice just creeping in your, in your mind and speaking those, those lies into your life, I want you to listen again to this verse from Matthew 6.33. I want want us to grab hold of this promise that Jesus is offering. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So let's unpack this and we're gonna kind of do it backwards. I want you to notice that in the second half of the verse, there's a promise. There's a promise that Jesus is making to you. He says, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, what what are these things? So to understand that, we've got to go back a little bit. Verse 25, listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, I'm going to guess that there's a few people here today who sometimes worry about things, okay? Anybody in there? Anybody in that category? Maybe you worry just, just a little bit. Don't worry about your life, Jesus says which is easier said than done, right? I mean, can you, you remember the last time you were worried about someone, someone just said, oh, don't worry about it. Okay, I'm not talking to you anymore because this is important. I'm, I, need, I need to worry about this. Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Anybody, anybody done that? 
Daylight savings does not count. You ever worried so hard that you got more time in your day? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Or whether we get new floors, or the countertops, or the teeth. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So what are these things that will be added? What, what is Jesus? What's the promise that Jesus is making? Well, here's, here's how I want you to picture it with me. I want you to think about, just for a moment, I want you to go to a place that maybe you don't want to go. I want you to think about everything that you're worried about in your life right now. I want you to think about that thing that you got to get done before tomorrow that you just got to somehow squeeze it into today, that it's just, just pressing down on you, that whether it's a responsibility that you have in your life, a concern that you may have for a loved one right now who's going through a difficult time, maybe it's a, maybe it's a spouse or, or a parent or a child. I want you to think about what you're afraid of, the thing that you're worried might happen, uh, that, that thing that could come around the bend in your life. I want you to think about the weight of the fear and the worry and the anxiety in your life. And I just want you to imagine that as a weight on your shoulders, just for a moment. I want you to feel it. How heavy is that weight? How heavy is it? If you wrap it all up and you just put it on your shoulders for just a moment, how quickly do those shoulders begin to slouch as you feel the weight of all those things in your life. And, and, and here's what I want you to imagine as you think about what this promise really means. I want you to imagine what it would feel like for someone to come up behind you and to just lift that weight off your shoulders. Think about what it would be like to, to, to find yourself almost crushed beneath the weight of that worry and anxiety and fear in your life. And I want you to imagine what it would feel like for someone just to come alongside right behind you and just to lift that up. Now, does that sound good? I mean, is anyone interested in that? You think, that might be nice. You know, if someone just can't. And I mean, who among us is going to make the argument, no, Jesus, I really love to worry. Please don't take that away from me. I mean, I, I don't sleep well when I worry. I'm short with my kids. It causes anxiety for me, but also with my family. It increases my risk of heart attack or stroke. And I'm really looking forward to both those things, Jesus. So please don't take worry away. No, no one's making that. That, oh, that sounds good to everybody, right? This idea that, that this weight would simply be lifted from our shoulders. Doesn't that feel good? That's the promise that Jesus is making. And all these things will be added to, I will come and I will lift these things from you if you do what is the first half of the verse. So look back with me. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So this weight that you feel in your life, or whatever it is, for it to be lifted from your life, here's what has to happen. When you seek first, the kingdom of God, that weight is lifted from your life. Now, don't misunderstand this. I want to make sure you don't go the wrong direction. This is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, I will come and lift the weight, and I'll wait for you to mess up again, and then I'll drop it on you again. That's not what he's saying. 
What Jesus is saying is when you seek first the kingdom, when God is in his proper place in your life, everything else returns to its proper place as well. So that giant in your life that you are staring at every single day, I do not want this to happen. Please don't let this happen. I am so concerned about this. This is a huge tower in my life. It's going to topple on top of me. It's going it's to crush me. It's going to crush my life. It's going to hurt my family. It's going to hurt my kids. This weight, this worry, this giant that you are staring at, when you turn around and you focus on God, you realize, that's not so big. That's not quite the giant that I thought it was. When God is in his proper place, everything else returns to its proper place. You might say it this way, and this is why this is so important. Whatever is first in your life is what you worship. Whatever is first in your life is what you worship. Whatever is in that primary spot in your life is what you worship because you were created to be a worshiper. And when God is in God's proper place, when the the vastness of God's lordship, God's provision, the God who cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, when we have that perspective on God suddenly we recognize we have nothing to fear. All these other things that, that we see before us right now, they, when we lift our heads, we see that they're not what we thought they were, that we have nothing to fear. So let me give you a couple of categories of your life, some, some ways for you to think about it, maybe tease out of your own heart and mind, well, what is first in your life? What is in that primary place? What is taking up that spot that maybe God should be filling in your life? What is first in your life is what you worship. So what is it? What is first in your life? Let me give you three categories. The first one would be to look at your calendar. So if we were tomorrow just to grab a cup of coffee and we picked up these things that had become idols for us, and I got another text message. Oh my gosh, all right. Um, and, And we were to look at our calendars you were just to look back over the last week and to ask yourself this question, does God show up there? Is God present in the way that you are spending the gift of your time? Are you giving him your attention throughout the week? One of the things that Johnny challenged you to do last week, if you were here, he challenged you to take 10 minutes to simply be still this week this past week, to be still and to spend time in prayer with God. Did you do that? And if you didn't, why didn't you? Because whatever is first in your life is what you worship. And I guarantee you, if you take some time and you look at, just look at your calendar, just think about the last week, it will reveal to you what is first in your life. Does God show up there when you look at your calendar? When you think about the investment of your time, is God there? Is he first in this area of your life? The second area is in your checkbook. Now, I recognize that none of you actually have checkbooks anymore. I mean, nobody writes checks anymore, but I wanted them all to start with the letter C. Pastors like alliteration. So we're going to go with checkbook. You can think of it as your bank account, your credit card statement, whatever it might be. But you think about the resources of your life and the way that you are spending those resources. Does God show up there? Does God show up there? Now, I'll be real honest with you this morning. This is actually an area where I should talk to you about this more. I really should. 
And the reason that I don't is because it's uncomfortable. And you may think, well, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable for me. Well, no, it's uncomfortable for me too. (laughs) Because I know how much of a struggle this is to so many to spend your resources in such a way that you are placing God first in your life. Here's what the scriptures teach us. It's actually really, really simple. And we find this throughout the scriptures. This is the practice that God gives to us in order to properly manage the resources of our life and to put God first in this really important area of our life. God says this, that when you receive, not before you receive, but as you receive, you take 10% of what you have received, and you set that aside as a first fruit. You do it first. You don't do it last. You don't do it somewhere in the middle. You do it the very first thing. You take that and you give it away as a testament to your devotion to God, as a way of saying, God, you are first in my life, and I recognize that everything that I have received in my life comes from you. And because you are Lord of my life and I trust your provision in my life, I'm going to take this first fruit and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to live on what's left, the 90%. I'm going to practice this, Lord, as a way of saying that you are first. You are primary. I want to put you in your proper place. And so I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to give it to you so that you will know and I will know that you are number one in my life, and I am trusting my life to you. Now, when you hear that from the pastor, I know some of you think, well, the pastor just wants to pay the light bill, and I do. That's good. We need lights, but that is not the point. It's about saying, God, you are first in my life. And wherever those resources go, it's about saying, God, I trust that you will provide for me and what you have given me is enough. And when you can't get there, let me just make sure you understand this. You are living in a bondage. And that bondage might be because you're not looking at the 100%. You're looking at the 130% that you've been financing and building this mountain of debt that screams into your ear all the time, increasing the worry and stress in your life. Or you've just got to the place where you cannot seem to let go and say, God, you are enough. Both of those are bondage. And as your pastor, one of the things that I have to do is to step into the discomfort and say, God wants to be first in every area of your life. And when you do that, it changes things. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, we've talked about worry. I have a few worries in my life. One of the big categories is my resources. Like you're thinking, David, that makes no sense at all. I'm worried about my finances, so I should take less? That doesn't make any sense at all. It's very logical for you to assume that makes no sense. And that may be, in fact, what is keeping you from stepping into this generous life is I I just can't. I'm so worried that there won't be enough. And you think that worry will increase if you begin to live a generous life. And you just need to hear this with love and grace. You're wrong. (laughs) It's just wrong. And here's why. Matthew 6.33 is truth. That if you begin to live in this way, it will change what you worry about. The people who practice generosity, I guarantee you, are people who are less anxious about these financial resources in their life. Because when you learn to honor God with the 10%, here's what happens. 
it changes the way you spend the 90. And it changes the way that you feel about that. Because you begin to step into this generous way of living that models the heart of God's generosity for you in your life. Don't worry, I have a third one so we can get off this point of discomfort here. The third one is your conversations. The way you speak to others and the way that you speak to yourself is God primary there. In other words, when someone comes to you in your life because they have a concern in their life, because they have a need, they're they're sharing with you a struggle in your life, is it natural for you to verbalize to them how God has been at work in your life and in your struggles? Is that easy for you to do or is that really, really hard? Is it hard for you to go there to talk about how God has been at work in your own life as someone shares with you? Is that primary or do you first turn to whatever wisdom you feel like you can share in that moment or do you talk about how God has been at work in your life or, or what about with yourself? Who, who has primary influence over the way that you speak to yourself? Uh, here in the chapel, I don't know if y'all sang this song upstairs, but here in the chapel we sang the song Sons and Daughters, and we talked about that we are the sons and daughters of God, and, the, and we asked of God that, that, that he would remove the lies from our life, those, those other ways that we may be tempted to identify ourselves or define ourselves so that we can understand that we are the sons, we are the daughters of God, that's who we are. Is that, what, is that what's primary when you're worrying about your life? Is it the fact that you are a child of God, you are loved by God, you have nothing to fear because you are a citizen of the new kingdom that God is is building? Is that what is primary? Are you thinking, oh, I just don't have enough. I'm not enough. God can never forgive me. Is God first in the way that you speak to yourself, in the way that you speak to others? Because whatever is first in your life is what you worship. And if God is not in that primary place, you're going to continue to see giants all around. But when God is in his proper place, everything else returns to where it should be. And we recognize that we have nothing to fear, that this this weight and this burden that you have been carrying, you don't have to carry that. There's a Savior who longs to simply come alongside you and to lift that weight. Does that sound good? Does that sound like something that you would want to experience in your life? That's the promise of Matthew 6.33. And that's what it means to live, not just experience and participate in an event called worship, but to live a life of worship. It's when God is primary and we let God do what only God can do, to lift that weight and allow us to step into freedom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we confess to you, Lord, that 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 really does sound good. Because we, we know, we know how heavy that weight is. And Lord, we know even if we haven't shared it with a close friend, we know how tired we are of trying to carry that weight alone. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless us today with wisdom. Wisdom to see perhaps how to reorient our life, to reprioritize, to establish what really matters. And in that, Lord, to receive the grace that you offer for a brand new life to begin. God, as we think about this promise, continue in worship today, we thank you for the gift of Holy Communion that we share together. And we pray, Lord, that as we receive this broken body and we receive the elements that represent your shed blood, we would be reminded that you have put us first in sharing with us this generous sacrifice. May our receiving of it transform us, that we, Lord, may participate in the transformation of the world. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.